Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of, wow, that was a bad one, of the Locked On Padres podcast, which is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day for Wednesday, April 15th. My name is Javier Reyes, your host of this year Locked On Padres podcast. Check out and follow the Twitter page for the show, which is at LO underscore Padres, or my personal account, which is at Javapeno, which is J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O. Both of those accounts... O-counts, both of those O-counts, O-counts, have very good tweets and very good memes and very good dreams, but sometimes they occasionally have some bad stuff, but we don't talk about the bad stuff now, do we? Only the good stuff here on the Lockdown Padres podcast, and if you feel so inclined, please hit me up on either of those accounts or the Gmail, which is LockedOnPadres at gmail.com. With any questions, comments, or concerns you might have, please send them my way, and I'll do my very best to answer them here on the show. And what an interesting show we have today. You know why? Let me tell you exactly why. Because, because it's the first time in a while that I think it's been a podcast that was all me. I was talking to Mr. Ben Caspic about the, we had our Giants crossover a little bit ago. And then with Jenna Garcia of Lockdown Rockies, we talked about Rockies and Arenado and all that stuff. And that's kind of been the majority of podcasts, a lot of guest stuff recently. And I think I talked to somebody else too. Uh, maybe Jeff Sanders was was the other podcast that came before the the Giants thing, it's interesting. I really feel like this is the first time I've recorded just myself, so I might be a little a little bit out of practice, I guess you could say, which is kind of hard to, to believe given that I've been doing this podcast for longer than a month, month now, that I would possibly ever be a little bit nervous about recording just by myself, but it's true, and it's it's really quite interesting. And I know that maybe if you guys hear that news, you hear that it's only going to be my voice, Mr. Javier Reyes, and that there's not going to be any other guest that's a lot smarter than me, clearly, that you might want to throw your phone out the window, you might want to blow it to oblivion, you want to Thanos snap it out of existence, light your house on fire, whatever. First of all, don't do that. And second, you know, I want you to be safe. And third, um... I understand. I understand if you might be looking for some more Padre expert, Padre, Padre's expertise. Um, and don't worry. The reason why I am saying don't worry is because later in the week we're actually going to be having, or at least the beginning of next week, I'm going to be talking about to people uh, later in this week, uh, have some more expertise and special guests on the podcast. And I won't reveal them just yet. Because I want to make for sure that I record first. You know, I don't want to jinx it entirely. I'm kind of jinxing by talking about, I, this is too long of an intro. What I wanted to talk about today, guys, is briefly kind of my first thoughts on the 1984 Padres, which is widely regarded as one of the most revered teams in Padres franchise history. They, of course, went on to win the National League title and go to the World Series against the Detroit Tigers, which they unfortunately lost. But... They had a record of 92-70, and 70, and this win of the, the National League was the first time they had done that in franchise history. It was kind of the first big, great team for them. And I know that it's this team and the, the 98 Padres and the 89 Padres are kind of revered a lot more, too. But this seems like the one that people talk about the most. So I did a lot of research on my own, including watching this, this documentary, this mini-documentary on the 84 Padres that I thought was very good from MLB Network that I really enjoyed and gave me a lot of info on just the, the feel of the team. Because I can look at all the numbers I want, but I couldn't get a feel for the team unless I started doing a little bit more research and whatnot. Even though we'll still be talking to some numbers too. But before we get into that, guys, I wanted to talk about something that I probably should have talked to you guys about on Monday. Especially considered it was a short podcast on Monday. And that is the proposed divisional realignment. That's right. Divisional realignment. You guys have probably been following this. But I figured that I should probably address it myself and have my thoughts shared on the podcast. Right? As a Padres folks 
would probably appreciate. We're going to read from an article by USA Today. I'm going to read directly from that. Major League Baseball, assessing a myriad of proposals, has discussed a radical plan that would eliminate the traditional American and National League leagues for 2020, a high-ranking official told USA Today Sports, and realign all six divisions for an abbreviated season. The official spoke on the condition of anonymity because the proposal is one of several being discussed. The plan would have all 30 teams returning to their spring training sites in Florida and Arizona, playing regular season games only in those states, only in those two states, and without fans in an effort to reduce travel and minimize the risks in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. The divisions would be realigned based on the geography of their spring training homes. The plan would allow teams to return to the comforts of their spring training sites for three weeks of training, which would also include exhibition games before opening the regular season and playing a schedule with wholly different divisional opponents. Now let's take a look at what they would look like. It would be a grapefruit and cactus league instead of American and national. Now let's talk about the Padres one first. They would be the Northwest division and it would be consisting of the San Diego Padres, of course, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Seattle Mariners, the Texas Rangers, and the Kansas City Royals. Yes, sir. You heard that correctly. Now to just go over the rest of the teams in the Cactus League. The West would be the Los Angeles Dodgers, Chicago White Sox, Cincinnati Reds, Cleveland Indians, and Los Angeles Angels. The Northeast would make up the Chicago Cubs, San Francisco Giants, Arizona Diamondbacks, Colorado Rockies, and Oakland Athletics. Of course, basically the same as the NL West with the exception of Cubs and Athletics in exchange for the Dodgers and Padres. Watch and now let's move on to the Grapefruit League. The North would be consisting of the New York Yankees, Philadelphia Phillies, Toronto Blue Jays, Detroit Tigers, and Pittsburgh Pirates. The South would cons- would consist. Oh, hopefully I don't start getting pick- hiccups now. The South would consist of the Boston Red Sox, Minnesota Twins, Atlanta Braves, Tampa Bay Rays, and Baltimore Orioles. And then finally, the East would consist of the Washington Nationals, Houston Astros, New York Mets, St. Louis Cardinals, and Miami Marlins. But let's talk about the Padres. That's the most important one. But even before we talk about the Padres, actually, I want to just give my my first thoughts on this. Now, when I first heard this, first of all, it was like looking at – I recommend you guys all looking up this clip from the show The West Wing, which is one of my five favorite shows ever. I experienced it for the first time like last year and immediately knew it was one of my all-timers, right? I've been actually re-watching it with my mom uh, over the, the course of the last month or so of – you know, everything that's happened, and we, we love it so much, right? There's actually, look up the North, uh, the West Wing map. I, I think it, that, that you'll find it. It's basically this bit about this, this proposed realignment of what the globe map that is taught should look like, right? And the, the characters kind of reacted in a, a, a way that's like, what the heck is this? That's kind of my f- feeling. I know that analogy is a little bit of a stretch, but whatever. I have to get some pop culture reference in here somehow, am I right? And that's kind of what I felt like looking at these divisions. It's wild. I can't... The idea of the Padres playing against the Mariners, the Rangers, the Royals, like, yeah, they play, they play the Brewers. They are in the National League. But when I saw the, <laughs> the Royals and Rangers and Mariners, I was like, what the heck? Now, I do admit, I do admit from a selfish perspective, kind of cool that we don't have the Dodgers in the division. If this if this comes to pass, I like the report said, this is one of several plans being discussed. If this is what ends up happening and the Padres end up having to play these teams in their division, not going to lie, definitely an upgrade from the, the Diamondbacks, I think, are the only team that was really going to stand a chance against the, the Padres with, an, with the exception of the 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 Dodgers of course I think those the, those are the only two other competitive teams I don't really fear as much the Royals 
or not the Royals, the Rangers and the Brewers, who are probably the second other best teams that we would be competing against. I know the Rangers added a lot of interesting pitching with Corey Kluber as their big free agent acquisition, so they're not going to be a pushover for sure. And the Brewers, I don't know, the Brewers aren't giving me Gibbs vibes right now. I don't like that Brewers team too much. I don't know, it's just a feeling. It just doesn't feel like that team is built to, to last for too long. And part of me still is expecting the Yelich thing to calm down just a little bit. I don't think he's going to keep up the MVP, best player in baseball type of thing. I think he had his peak. Again, this might just be coming from a hater. I don't know. And just in terms of that, I understand. And, you know, baseball fans are always reticent to change, right? We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. And I understand the kind of weird being aghast at the idea of changing the divisions like this. However, my counter to that is we're in unprecedented times. And in a way, this season is going to be weird and have a giant asterisk next to it anyway this is going to be a year that we kind of in a lot of ways we're going to hope we can forget it as soon as possible at least you know that's 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 how it looks like we're heading right this is this is just unbelievable times we're in right so with all that being said though still i want to say i'm kind of open to it just because i actually think it would make the season a little interesting one just in terms of content creation purposes i'd be very curious to have the brewers mariners rangers and royals hosts on the podcast i think that'd be very fun but also because you know i talk about a lot and i don't know if i've talked about in this podcast about this area specifically that i've always loved interleague play whether it was growing up watching the yankees play the rockies or whatever or the yankees play the padres or the yankees play whoever or versus now when i get to see the padres play someone like the the, the Cleveland Indians, right? Whenever that happens. I don't even know the last time that happens. It's I always have loved interleague play. And baseball is one of the only sports where you aren't guaranteed to even see every team in the in the league, which is crazy. Basketball, you'll see every team at least once. Football, um, actually football, you don't get to see everyone. Okay, so that was a bad, <laughs> a bad, a bad point on my part. I probably should have thought about that a little bit more. But you, you get what I'm saying, right? And it's it's in context of how many games there are, the fact that you don't get to see every team. And this would at least kind of make this season be memorable, not just because it would be a shortened season and all the things that we're going through right now and there wouldn't be any fans, right? But also because it'd be kind of, I don't know, it might be a little bit interesting just because you're playing different teams 10, 15 times a year or whatever, whatever the amount is for divisional opponents that you play them. It would at least kind of be like, oh, like this was, it made the season unique, I guess you could say. And then we go back to normal next year. Right. Hopefully, I should I should say we go back to normal. So from that perspective, I'm, I'm kind of open to it. Now, let's also say this. The thing that Major League Baseball should do is whatever keeps the most people safe. Flatten the curve. I know people have been saying that a lot. Stay at home, wearing masks and all that stuff. I get it. Right. And I also think that whatever option is making, if the other thing I say about this is, yes, we want everyone to be safe. But there are some realities where, let's be honest, the powers that be, they want baseball to play. There is money there to be made, obviously. So I do understand that, but I also say, look, I, I just hope that whatever happens, that they're communicating with health professionals and doctors and scientists and they're reading data and they're not just saying nonsense on TV every day or what have you, and that they really are, are, are kind of looking into what is the best option to keep people safe. If this is the best option, I'm game. I know it's weird, and I know that it would bug a lot of people to not get a lot of those divisional rivalries we're used to. The Padres and the Dodgers wouldn't be playing each other, or the Giants. Or uh, from American League perspective, you don't get Yankees, Red Sox, or or maybe Cubs, Cubs, Cardinals. You don't get that, right? And I understand that. I really, I really, really do. Screw it. 
why not be as creative as possible and make this one season that, while it was in bad circumstances, it's one that we won't forget because of all the weird rules that they have and all the different things that sprouted from it. It's at least different, and I imagine would return to normal soon after. But with all that being said, guys, let's now talk about my thoughts on the 1984 Padres. So I, I told you guys I was reading some articles. I was reading some stuff on Ray Kroc, who was the owner of the the Padres up until he died right before the season, which was really sad, of course. Um, and he was the the McDonald's owner, and he kind of he spent only like 15 million dollars on the team when he acquired them in 1974. And this was the year where he was kind of like, you know what? We're going for it. We're spending money. And this is a team with Eric Shaw and Alan Wiggins and Craig Nettles, and they acquired Goose Goshes and Steve Garvey at the time, who were kind of the some of the top um, free agents on the market, especially Gossage, who was known for a lot of his time in the in the pinstripe uniform. And it was really interesting. This is this had a, this is a team with Kurt Bavacqua and all these these guys that are very Padre centric and Alan Wiggins, right? Now I, I will say. The, the biggest thing about this team is, one, they were obviously good. And just looking at from a numbers perspective, let's get the number stuff out of the way, right? From a numbers perspective, the the team doesn't have a lot of killer bats, right? This wasn't a super offensive team. It had it was a little bit of a little bit of both, right? It wasn't one way or the other, but I think that I would say the, the pitching was a little bit more dynamic, right? And you look at the numbers here, and what I love about this is I loved I was really looking forward to reading and researching some older kind of stuff, especially pre-90s type of baseball, because the numbers change drastically. Honestly, they change in the mid-2000s, you know what I mean, from what the current era of super strikeouts and and walks, you know what I mean, or, or strikeouts and busts, or busts, I should say, of baseball we're in right now. And it's kind of interesting, and some numbers support that, is that the guy who struck out the most on the Padres, like kind of starting lineup this season, was Terry Kennedy, who was the catcher. He batted 240 with an on-base of 284, which isn't great. Struck out 99 times, which by today's standards is is like remarkable, right? Like that never, never happens now, which is what I think is so, so interesting. Not a lot of crazy OPS guys. The best guy on this team was obviously Tony Gwynn, batted 351 with a 410 on base. Tony Gwynn, Hall of Famer, and one of those guys that you look at everything he's done and you're like, oh my God, this guy just casually batted like 390. <laughs> you know, he casually batted that like at an age of like, I think it was his age 34 season, 34 years old. If I'm not mistaken, he, I'm going to look at the numbers right now, actually. Yeah, his age 34 season, he batted 394. Just spraying the ball all over. Like, that's just, when you think about that, that's just that's just kind of nuts. And this was arguably, this 1984 team, It was he was he actually finished third for MVP voting, got the Silver Slugger Award. His first was an all-star. It was kind of his first real, real true breakout season, although he's always been a batting average beast, right? And what I think is so fun about this team is kind of that they don't have these offensive juggernauts on their team. Alan Wiggins, who we'll talk about kind of the off-field and more uh, number absent stuff with him in a little bit, he batted 258, had an on-base of 342, which is pretty good. But most importantly, he stole thir- or 70 bases, which was a franchise record at the time. 70 bases. Big, big base stealer for sure, right? And it's, like I said, the, the numbers, they don't really encapsulate the team entirely, especially when you watch the documentaries and the, the players when they're talking about it, right? This isn't some killer all-time type of team. And definitely they had some guys on here. You know, they had they had Steve Garvey, who had a high batting average, and they had Kevin McReynolds, who had 20 homers, batted 278, and they had 
Greg Nettles, who I mentioned earlier, he batted 20, or he hit 20 homers with a 329, 329 on base, 228 averages. Now I'm just espousing numbers. And one of the big uh, guys that I also was reading on was was Kurt Pavacqua, who was kind of the clutch pinch-hitting specialist, they called him, right? Which is interesting because his numbers from from afar, he batted 200 with an on-base of 326, which isn't incredible, you know, but it's it's... It's interesting to see like guys like Luis Salazar and Bobby Brown and Tim Flannery were kind of it's seemingly the guys who did a little bit better in these kind of situations of pitch hitting. So that's just that's just a, a thing I noticed. Now let's move over to the pitching side of things. Uh, my biggest thing that struck out was Eric Shaw, who is kind of number one, the, the ace starter of the team, had an ERA of just three point four. And he struck out 131 guys, or I'm sorry, he struck out 104 guys. I was looking at Lawler, who struck out 131 guys. Those are numbers nowadays that are very average for strikeouts. And that's not a shot at this era. That's not to say that this was an overrated team by any stretch. Don't get me wrong. I don't want, I don't want to be that guy who starts looking at old teams and looking at their numbers and being like, well, was he actually that good? It's a different, it's a different era. You know what I mean? I know that this conversation gets brought up a lot with like Allen Iverson, right? Where if you look at up, look up some of his numbers, people start being like, well, was he that efficient and all this stuff? It's like, all right, like let's, let's calm down. Right. It's, it's very interesting looking at the numbers compared to now compared to now. I mean, you, the 186 is like kind of a, or 140, like the 130 range, like that's like average number of strikeouts now. And a K per nine of 4.5 is like unbelievably low, right? But maybe you don't walk a lot of people. It's just, it's very interesting. I know I'm repeating myself, but I love looking at these these older numbers and kind of putting them into context of today's game because by today's standards, it's like, what the heck? None of these, these guys are like bench players. With the exception of Gwyn, all of these guys are like bench players, right? By, by today's standards. Numbers absent. My other perspective on this, and this really came out in the little mini doc that I was watching from MLB Network, this team had a lot of personality. I mean, you had Goose Gossage, who I don't love. Goose Gossage is not, I guess you could say that, I don't really like Goose Gossage, and I could. I guess you could say that the way the season ended, uh, this 84 season ended in the World Series, might give me more ammo to uh, give credence to why I hate Goose Gossage. I don't hate him, but I, I don't like him. I don't like some of the comments he's made over the years, and he's he seems like he comes off these days as very much like old men type of guy when it comes to his opinions on the game, right? That being said, he was like this clubhouse kind of leader. And then they had guys like Eric Shaw, who was this very quiet, more reserved, kind of intelligent, they called him, person, right? And I, I don't want to assault... Uh, you know, associate intelligence with factors of just being quiet. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't think that means that all the time. I've, I've met, you know, run into a bunch of people in my life that are rowdy and almost frat boy like, and they're very, very smart people. Right. And speaking of frat boy, that's the way the documentary described the team. That this is kind of a frat house type of thing. But when game time came, they were super serious and they were always joking around with each other. And what's interesting is, you know, I, I have some some tidbits that I loved about this team. There was there was all these great quotes and whatnot. And then Dick Williams, who, like I said, a frat house type of team. This guy was the complete contrast to he was like this sergeant general. He was wild. Like he was almost a meanie of a manager. A meanie. That's a terrible word to use. Do not use that on your SAT kids. Um, and he was very like strict. And he if you messed up and he came out, he would take you out. He'd be looking at you like, how are you messing this up? Like definitely a, a hard nose type of coach. Very old fashioned, I think, in that sense. I think a lot of people don't like managers and coaches that are very like in your face these days. Right. And yelling all the time. I feel like that's kind of where society is headed in a lot of ways for a lot of different areas but I, I enjoyed it and Kurt Bavacqua who was this 
this kind of stallion, right? He was this guy who was rolling around in limousines, and he was he he just had a a charisma to him, I guess you could say. Even though he was this guy who was just a pinch hitting specialist, you know, he was driving around in limousines and being big timer, right? And they really kind of captured the San Diego type of city, right? They they captured the the fan base. They really made people like them quite a lot. Even when they went on some losing streaks and even when they were down 0-2 in the playoffs to the Chicago Cubs, I know that I saw someone call them the Cub Busters because of what ended up happening when they, they came back from 2-0, which like never happens, right? And they beat the Cubs to enter the World Series. It's interesting because, you know, this was a team that got into this enormous brawl against the Atlanta Braves, which I feel like if you looked up, that that might be one of the first things you see when you think, when you see the 1984 Padres. It was really fun, I think, experiencing this team. I was familiar with some of them. I was familiar with Gossage as someone who grew up a Yankees fan. I knew just by a fact of who I knew. I knew who Goose Gossage was. I knew he played for the Padres before. But I didn't know about guys like Alan Wiggins, and I didn't know about guys like... Like Eric Shaw, I, I wasn't as familiar with guys like that, and this was kind of uh, an eye-opening thing, and I really enjoyed kind of diving into it. And that the that Ray Kroc, you know, he was really serious. He was like, "Let's compete," and I I think that that's how a lot of owners need to be. I think owners a lot of times in sports they they step weirdly. They it, it takes them some time to get a grip of the team and whatnot. And this was one of those times where it looks like he finally understood it, and it's it's sad that he never got to see his vision come to fruition and he never got to see the team he helped assemble kind of come to fruition, but that's what ended up happening. In terms of sad, along with the Ray Kroc thing, this team, what I also found very interesting is surrounded a lot by sad stuff, right? This is a team that had, like I said with Ray Kroc, it begins with their owner passing away in January, right before the season kind of was starting and the the free agency stuff was was kicking off, but he never got to see the the team play. And I think the other biggest uh, storyline about the team was Alan Wiggins' off field issues and the demons that he was facing with with drugs and whatnot. And he, you know, and it was also Eric Shaw. You know, this is a team that's surrounded kind of by tragedy, not just because oh they they lost the World Series and Goose Gossage in the documentary they were talking about how he the um that Dick Williams told him, let's let's lock this guy, we're not going to pitch to him. And Goose Gosh was adamant, he's like, no, I'm pitching to him. And then he did, and then he gave up a home run, right? So that was bad, but and gives more credence to maybe why I don't like Goose Gosh. But hey, it, it happens. And aside from stuff like that, just in terms of a playing team, they were great, right? But surrounded by a lot of tragedy. Alan Wiggins died young, and so did Eric Shaw. Shaw was at age 37 of a drug overdose, and Wiggins at age 32 from AIDS linked to the injection of, of, of drugs, which was kind of following him. He actually just blew off the team at one point for like 10 days, which is crazy to think about because, you know, I, I guess the, the this would like never happen, right? I feel like this never happens where we hear about athletes that just blow off their team entirely and don't say anything, right? I mean, the last one I could think of was Derrick Rose a few years ago when he just didn't tell anybody, and this was a big story for a whole like whole 24-hour cycle, pretty much, or maybe not 24-hour cycle, but, you know, a whole four-hour cycle, right, and it was just this big thing about where is he, and it turned out it was just a personal thing that he needs to take care of, but still, like, everybody freaked out, and that doesn't happen anymore, and this was also a season of Dave Gervecki, who ended up having to get his arm amputated because of cancer that was, you know, surrounding his arm, and Jack Kroll, who was also part of the coaching the coaching staff, he died of cancer related to his use of constant um, chewing tobacco 
And of course, now this is a little bit more removed. Tony Gwynn also had a bad habit of chewing tobacco, obviously, and people know this. He died in 2014 at the age of 54. You know, this is just a few things. And I found that so interesting that there's all these things, right, with Jervecki's arm and how he had to get it amputated. And if you guys haven't seen, like, I, I bet if you look up, and I knew this was another thing I knew along with Gossage and Tony Gwynn, right, about the, the team, I knew that there was this, I, I knew about Dave Jervecki and I saw the play when he threw the pitch and just collapsed on the mound. I think if you just look up, like, baseball or just sports injuries, like montages and collabs on on YouTube, like you'll probably find this one. And I didn't realize that was the, I didn't realize that he was on the Padres actually. I didn't know that this was that season. So I was like, oh my God, like this is one of those teams with a super vibrant, super almost raunchy kind of attitude about themselves. And they were super charismatic and had all these characters, very old fashioned and, and kind of crazy characters, but also surrounded by a lot of tragedy with Eric Shaw and Alan Wiggins and Shaw, they said like was very reserved and the the Wiggins, you know, people were kind of aware, unfortunately, about what he was battling. But they said the Eric Shaw thing was kind of like nobody knew, and that's what's interesting to me. This team has a lot of tragic endings, I guess is the way to say that have nothing to do with the way their season ended, and that was kind of one of my big perspectives on the team, you know. But not all was terrible. One of my favorite. Uh, some of my favorite anecdotes about the team is after they beat the Cubs, I was seeing this documentary, apparently that they had their own Spurs moment, San Antonio Spurs moment, when they were up on the Miami Heat uh, so much in that 2014 finals, I can't remember when it was, and they were kind of wheeling out the trophy, right? They were getting prepared before the Heat ended up coming back and winning it on that famous Ray Allen shot that the that the Cubs were preparing their champagne like after the end of each game. And that's apparently what the what the stories were saying. And the Padres, actually, after beating them and winning the Series 3-2, they bought it from them and celebrated with it, which is just absolutely savage. And I love it. I wish... Oh, man. Can you imagine that? Like, can you imagine in the moment if we heard that like today? I wish that we could... Someone needs to recreate old... Uh, like sports storylines and like funny like hipster things that we do on the internet today and like post them on Twitter but like what it would have looked like if Twitter existed back then you know what I mean I'm sure people have done that before but it's just interesting you know what I mean and I love that little tidbit and I think my favorite tidbit was this thing with Kurt Pavacqua who played catch this was like I, I, I like imagine if this happened now he was playing catch with somebody on like a 20-story building. It was like kind of this fun little thing. Someone dropped the ball all the way down to him, and then he caught it. And that was just uh, uh, it's it's a thing of the times. And I don't I can't think of why Eddie would do that today. You know what I mean? Like we just don't get weird stories like that. I really recommend everyone kind of checking out some pieces about this team. I know I did, and I recommend checking out stuff on on Ray Kroc, who you know was was definitely one of those guys who says he just got into this for fun and then was like screw it this isn't fun because the team stinks so let's like be good and <laughs> that's like kind of this pure way of looking at things and i think we all have things that we get into casually thinking it'll be fun just for the heck of it and then we our professional pride starts taking over we want to start winning and that's what they ended up doing and check out the the MLB network documentary that one was definitely very uh much a piece of all my information that I kind of had. So yeah, that's, that's just my little, I hope you guys like this little talk 
about the 1984 Padres. I'm sure I'll be talking about it more because I'm going to be having more people on the podcast to talk about best teams ever and some of the best players ever, some people who are much smarter than me and bigger experts on the Padres than myself and just better, bigger sports experts in general than myself. And we're going to talk about that either at the end of this week or early next week. I'm definitely going to try and record them this week, but don't want to jinx them too much. But with that being said, guys, like I said, I hope you enjoyed it. And that does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow the show or myself on Twitter. And, of course, if you guys would do me a favor, uh, tell your smart devices to play Lockdown Fantasy Baseball. It's hosted by my man Scott Cullen, and he's, he's doing good work there. He's talking about all the angles you want to know about. Trust me, when it comes to fantasy and drafting, he's got you covered. And until next time, guys, stay safe and, of course, stay faithful, my Friar Faithful homies. Take care.